hello and welcome to our next episode of Minnesota State University Family and Parent Orientation Podcast. Uh, I'm David Jones, uh, Vice President of Student Affairs and Enrollment Management here at Minnesota State University Mankato. We have another really good episode I think that's gonna, you're going to find very interesting, in particular because we're going to focus on an area and a population that's continued to grow at our university. We're excited to, to have as a part of our university because it adds another really important thread to the fabric of our campus and everything. Today, I'm joined by JC Fry, and JC, I'm going to let you share your official title and everything here, but she is our campus expert on all things international students, and so she's going to share a little bit more today in our conversation about how we support international students, the work we do to both recruit them and retain them and everything, and you'll see as you listen to it more. So JC, please share with us uh, who you are, what you do here at the university. Sure. Thanks, David. Yeah, I'm JC Fry, and I'm the director of the Kearney International Center at Minnesota State Mankato. And um, our office is probably, I would say, the most fun office to work on because we are always busy and always helping students. We recruit international students from all over the world, from our desks and boots on the ground abroad. And we also provide them support services when they're here on campus. So we do programming, retention activities, orientation, put on huge events, singing and dancing and food. And then we also support our students when they graduate and they stay in the U.S. on their visa and look for employment. So we get to really build um, some pretty deep connections with students as they're preparing to get here and all the way past graduation, which is pretty neat, I think. I would think so. Gosh. So international is one of those areas that, that you really get to be a specialist within it and such. So career-wise, how did you find yourself working with international students? Great question. I would say I've been fond of international students back to when I was in high school. I befriended students all the time, and and then that carried on to um, college. And when I started my graduate program at the University of South Dakota back in the early 2000s, I had to do an internship. And at that point I was working in academic affairs and I was a study abroad advisor. And well, I liked that, but I really liked working with international students when I had to give them placement testing out of academic affairs. And so I decided to do my internship by um, shadowing the international student advisor there. And I thought the best way for me to learn the job would to essentially make a uh, how to be an international student advisor for dummies book, you know, just a survival guide. And it was a blast. I learned so much and it was actually perfect timing because I graduated that year in August and in October, the international student advisor took a new job. And so she had just spent an entire semester training me how to do her job. And I just walked right into it. It was perfect. Oh, that's excellent. Well, I count ourselves super lucky to have you in this role here at Minnesota State, it's just the expertise and the energy and creativity you bring to it has just been phenomenal. So thanks. And I think our listeners will totally believe that as well as you share a little bit more about the work you've been doing this past year in particular, how impactful it's been. So if anything, um, your area has really been, one might easily make the argument, been the most impacted by the pandemic because of our relationship with both our international students who are in Minnesota, as well as those across the world that have wanted to come study here. Can, you know, so how has the pandemic changed the way you're doing your work? Yeah, so 
you know, we really have in the past pre-pandemic really thrived on that in-person connection with students. Our office sometimes becomes their home away from home. And we have the chance to really get to know our students. And if they're in the building, they swing by and grab a cup of coffee and, and chat with our front desk. Well, March 2020, that ended. And so we had to quickly figure out how we could try and keep that connection to students, but do it virtually. And our advisors quickly made all of their advising sessions online and started having more open sessions where students could pop in and ask questions as they needed to try and still make that easy access still there for students. Um, recruiting. I mean, I, I send staff abroad eight to 10 weeks a semester. And I had to call a staff person home. She was in the Philippines and said, Beth, it's time to come home. <laughs> and, you know, we stopped her recruitment trip one third in. And so we had to figure out how we could still get our name out there and tell our story and recruit students from our desks at our homes. And so we had to learn how to use technology a little differently. We paid more closely attention to time zones and when we could reach those students when they were awake, not necessarily when we would be awake. And then we also had to figure out how we could still um, support our students who had enough time to return home right after the pandemic started so that they could continue their studies online from home and be with their families during this global pandemic. So it was it, always moving. I have a fantastic team that really and took, took it on, and I think we were pretty successful in maintaining those relationships with our students and then continuing to build new ones. It totally makes sense. Is your, did you find as you were interacting with different, with students from different parts of the world, did it require different solutions or? Yeah, that's a notable question for sure. You know, we have students in countries where you know, internet's not a problem. It, it works all the time, every time. And then we were working with students from other countries where it had blackouts for days. And so, if, you know, the university shifted to online delivery. And if the student had gone home to be with their family and they were in a blackout, they could not even let the professor know that there was this blackout and that they, they weren't attending because they absolutely couldn't. It wasn't because they chose not to. And I just think, you know, that time zone thing is huge. Because it's hard to ask a student to get up at two in the morning to meet you when, you know, who knows what they're dealing with at home. Because as as economies and as communities started closing down, you know, they were experiencing what we were, but it was hitting them differently because maybe their parents owned a small shop and that was their only income. And so they're suddenly wondering, how are we going to pay our bills next month? And so to, to take on all of that stress, as well as trying to study online from 14 hours. I think we just had to throw a lot of grace out there. I, I just can't imagine that. I mean, I, I saw it. We both have kids, you know, at home or we're trying to study as well during <laughs> during okay. this, as well as we're trying to support them. I'm, I was somewhat fortunate, I had a high school senior and junior, and they're pretty self-sufficient, you know, and could do stuff. I, I did have to up our bandwidth on our, our internet contract at home. All things being equal, that was a pretty easy thing to do. Right. And so knowing that we didn't have the massive time change and all these other things. And, and both my kids took a college class actually last fall here at MSU. So I, I know some of their professors were more comfortable with the technology as well, mm -hmm. um, you know, to varying degrees. And one of the things that, that's been intriguing is watching how our generation of students that were having college or definitely high school and such, their comfort with the technology, it makes it easier than ever to navigate higher education and go to university or whatever it might be. And so 
to that end, I think there'll be some things that actually might be positives coming out of the pandemic because that greater acceleration of the use of some technologies like the one we're using now, right? Yeah. For this and another Zoom, Zoom opportunity, but those things will have a lasting impact. I think that as we look at both their learning experience, but then they're probably post learning experience and our ability to stay connected to some of our international students as they head home. Yeah, I, I totally agree. We've had the chance to, um, you know, we spend our budget a little differently because we aren't buying plane tickets and going, you know, to all these different countries. And so we've been able to reallocate things and invest differently in, in different programs and different things for our office. And we've also invested our time differently. Prior to the pandemic, we did not do as much outreach to students who were in the pipeline, who had applied or were still pending application and who had been admitted for the upcoming semester. Where now we're having you know, webinars frequently with them to talk about them, to talk to them about what your options are, how to prepare to come. And I think we've put a lot of a lot of students' minds at ease by being available to them so much sooner than that week of orientation. And so I, that, that's something I think we're always going to continue to do and try and just build that connection with those new students, but we're also connecting them to, to students who are already studying here mm-hmm. to build, you know, uh, to build the network and, and kind of a connection with, so they recognize them when they get here in, in August. Yeah, no, that uh, totally makes sense. So you mentioned August. So let me let me share. Let's um, let me provide our episode update. Today is June 21st, in which we're recording this podcast. And since the last couple of podcasts, there's been no significant change in the state of Minnesota's approach to the pandemic and COVID-19 since May 28th. That was the most recent guidance. If you go to the governor and the Minnesota Department of Health website, we're coming up closer. July 1st is the governor's target where the last of any restrictions is supposed to expire. That It's either July 1st or when 70% of our state has received the, the vaccination. And, and we're in the 60s, low 60s right now as a state. I don't know if we'll hit 70 by July 1, but we're continuing to have momentum and, and are making concrete plans for the fall of what we're going to do. Including that, of course, is international students. And JC, what are you and your team doing in helping prepare to for the arrival? And we know one of the big challenges, I'm going to answer part of your question, I shouldn't, but the, the federal government continues to make different decisions that have huge impact, whether it's opening or not opening, certain countries travel to the United States. So what are you and your team spending time on right now getting ready for the fall? Yeah, we are watching the the visa issuance dates really closely and watching how embassies are shifting and changing and opening and reducing the, the time that it's taking them to get to issue out visas. And so that, you know, India is going to open up July 1 for more visa appointments or, you know, start taking visa appointments. And, you know, with that knowledge and seeing some of the other timelines, we've extended our application deadline to July 2nd so that we can accommodate those students who might have just been missing one application piece, didn't submit it because they didn't think they'd have a chance of getting him. And we are working with them to get those applications complete. And then we hand them off to our, our ambassadors in our office who are available to do visa prep sessions with them, get them to, you know, start making those plans of physically getting them. We're having conversations with students where we outline what their choices are. The webinars I mentioned earlier, we try and get as many students to join us. We're usually around 60 to 70 students who hop on, but we record them so it's available to others who weren't able to join us at the time. We talk about 
you know, your options really are one, get here before the start of the semester and get registered for a full course load. Two, defer your immigration document, but start with us online part-time from home. Take one or two classes, get your feet wet, and then keep working on getting that visa appointment so you can join us in January. Or if studying online just isn't an option for you, maybe the internet could be a little bit iffy or it's just not your ideal way of starting. Defer both your admission and your immigration document to January and start making plans to join us then. So for the students that are really determined to get here or they already have their visa, we're starting to provide orientation information to them in early July so that they can be as prepared as possible when they actually get to campus. You know, it's a big decision. Parents and families invest a ton of money in their students to, to come to the U.S. to get their degree and make their families proud. And so we want to make sure that they do that successfully and, you know, when, it, when it's the right time for them. So what, whatever that is, you know, we have advisors and we have student like peer leaders who can also connect with these students to kind of hash that out. What's going to be the best choice for student and their family? That totally makes sense. You mentioned timing. Are you seeing some students who've been, their, their plans were interrupted by the pandemic, still staying in the pipeline or now trying to continue their education plans at this point? Yeah. So in the fall, we had about 65 students who started their programs online from home. And in the spring, a handful of them got to campus and are now full-fledged on-campus students. Others continued studying online from home. And we're starting to see those students requesting immigration documents so that they can get their visa and come here. So we have students literally all over the world at different points of their program. You know, did they start part-time? Did they return home in March to, to be with their families? You know, the U.S. government relaxed a little bit on the, the regulations for their visa so that they could maintain their status as long as they were registered for full-time credit. They could still keep their immigration status active if they were home. And so we, you know, having to do our due diligence and tracking those students, so we're advising them the best way that, that we can. So the goal is always get students here is when it when it works for them. Mm-hmm. But we're going to have students studying online again this fall for sure. And we've learned a lot over the last academic year. And so we're putting some extra um, staff and an extra time into supporting those students because it's hard. It, I can't imagine starting a program in my third language, 14 hours away online and you know, not really feeling connected to that school yet. So we're going to put a lot of focus on making that connection. Wow. Yeah. And having an opportunity to see all the work your team does and helping support them. It's, I know it's important work. It's impressive work and super fun to watch that those dreams can be realized by our international students. So as we're looking ahead to the fall, and as I I shared the date earlier, we know we are planning for an in-person fall semester with the ability to have our classrooms and and many of our outside classroom activities fully in-person and and the opportunity to be fully realized, I guess, and and everything. And so we're excited about that. What, What advice do you have for any of our international students who are either definitely coming or are thinking about coming still and, and how MSU can help support them in uh, making those plans. Yeah, it would be it would be helpful for the students to you know really try and make that decision as early as they can so that they are best positioned 
to be successful in which, you know, whatever their fall looks like. Sometimes we don't know if a student is coming until we see them, until we see them face-to-face at orientation. And that's, you know, we want to be able to um, set them up for success. So the sooner the students can let us know what their plans are, I think the better opportunities they're going to have to get the support from our office and from academic programs and all the different areas that need to help support their, their success. If they are coming to campus and you haven't made your housing decision yet, I would challenge the students to go back and look at what the on-campus options are, especially the learning communities. It is a great way to get connected to campus and build a a smaller, tight-knit community that you'll have throughout your whole time here. I think being on campus is uh, a huge benefit to just being successful and and finding your spot on campus. For the students who are going to start online, be really thoughtful about the classes that you choose. You're going to connect with an academic advisor to select your courses, and they're going to try and talk you into taking one or two classes because from our experience, that, that's, that's enough. That will be enough for you, and it'll be challenging, but you'll also start, on a, start out on a good, a good note. Don't take a full course load from home. It's, it's going to be a bit challenging and I don't want that to be your first experience as, you know, your higher education career happens within the U.S. And if you can't study in the fall and it's just not going to work for you, stay connected to us. Follow us on social media. Our students are doing some really cool stuff and we brag about them all the time. And we want you to see what's waiting for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no doubt. I'm so, so excited. I just happenstance uh, around the corner from us right now, our president-elect Inch is recording some welcome videos on campus for, he starts here July 1st as well. And so um, uh, just thrilled that, that to kind of see in both his arrival here and he and I had a moment to speak and we're thrilled the campus has been so empty already for people bags and livelihood and everything. And that's true probably across society for lots and lots of stuff, but uh College campus, ours in particular, was definitely built for people to be here. And so to have that is a, is a real possibility moving ahead this fall is going to be pretty exciting. So yeah, I can't wait to, we haven't had an event. We have not had an event since fall of 19. And that's weird. It, it, we normally pack the ballroom two or three times a semester and have amazing costumes and beautiful music and delicious food. And we are, we are patiently waiting for that again. Absolutely. Absolutely. JC, I, I can't thank you enough for your time and, and, again, the work that you're doing and the leadership you provide. Anything else you'd want to want to share or I should have asked about that I didn't? I don't think so. I just hope, you know, whoever's listening, if, if you haven't made your decision, I hope that you decide to join us when it works for you at, at Minnesota State Mankato. We're ready for you. Excellent. With that, JC, again, thank you so much. For those listening, stay tuned. We'll have another podcast out shortly. And if you have any questions about what our campus plans are for the fall, go to our university website, look for the the header or do a search called Return to Campus. And that starts to outline all of our fall plans. So we're excited to see everybody back here and, and receive those new members of our community as well. So with that, again, thanks for carving out some time to, to spend it with us today. 